Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end of the program, where we're also going to share some exciting offers. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. In this week's episode, we're commemorating the 50th anniversary of what should have been a miraculous celebration, especially for the family of our guest today, Mika Slavin. In, in it, instead, it's the anniversary of the massacre of 11 Israeli athletes at the 1972 Munich Olympic Games, and specifically the murder of her brother, Mark. We're going to discuss this on a personal basis, of course, not just about Mark's murder, but also about her family's miraculous homecoming to Israel from the Soviet Union just months earlier, and how Mark was miraculously able to demonstrate that he was indeed a world champion Greco-Roman wrestler and become part of Israel's Olympic team literally off the boat. Mark Slavin was also so good that we should be celebrating 50 years this week in what would have been Israel's first Olympic medal. But we're here discussing his murder, which could have been prevented. We're discussing a cover-up that's still not yet been fully exposed. Compounding this is that the 1972 Munich Olympics were meant to be part of Germany's rehabilitation since the 1936 Nazi-orchestrated Berlin Olympics, showing that Germany had indeed re-entered the world of nations, that its genocidal past just three decades earlier was firmly in the past. Instead, 11 more Jews were massacred in Munich, not just without proper protection, but with the knowledge of the impending terror attack and even some by German bullets. Mika is the brother of Olympian Mark Slavin. She wasn't born yet when he went to Germany to fulfill his dream of representing Israel at the Olympics. He was among those who had the greatest likelihood, not just of taking home a medal, but of winning an Olympic gold. Mika has spent the the past decades living under the cloud of her brother's murder. She's the representative of one of the 11 families whose lives were forever impacted by their loved one's murder then, an impact that's still felt widely today throughout their lives. For Israel... Munich is one of the most horrific terror attacks against Israelis. Although Israel has been dealing with terror for decades, Munich was particularly horrific and shocking because it took place overseas after months of coordination involving Palestinian, Arab, and other terror groups, as well as neo-Nazis in Germany. Taking place at the world's spectacle of nations, getting along and competing in sportsmanship, rubs salt in the wounds and still does today. Mika and I are speaking at the end of August because it's important to tell this story and have it available for you on the actual anniversary of the beginning of the terror attack, which is September 5th. Mark was killed in the early morning of September 6th. But some of the important things that we're talking about are in flux as we speak and may change between now and when you're listening. Stay tuned 
and we will keep you updated. Just a moment before we begin, this is an incredible story that we're taking the time to tell and unwrap properly. It's going to be two parts today and on September 8th. And I want to invite you to follow both episodes. It's also a developing story. And as we're recording this a little before the anniversary of the incident that we're going to be talking about, I want to make sure that you know that we will be updating this. And you're always welcome to be in touch with me directly in order to get any additional information. But stay tuned. Uh, you'll, you'll enjoy this first episode and stay tuned for the second episode in a couple of days. Mika, it's a pleasure to see you. I get to see you. Our, our listeners get to hear you. Welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Thank you. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Um, so, Mika, yeah, go ahead. Please go ahead. Ask well, me. I wanted, I wanted, I, I honestly, I, I wrote to a friend early this morning, a friend, a friend in Miami, who's actually our sponsor. Let's acknowledge her now, Carol. Um, was telling her about this program and she wrote how emotional this is and I'm feeling emotional and it must be tremendously emotional for you. I'm just so grateful for you joining us um, to talk about the events that happened 50 years ago um, for, and, and how you and the 10 other families have been dealing with it. But your family has a unique background. And before yeah. we even get into, into why we're speaking today, I'm sure you would rather nobody know you and that yeah. Mark was 68 years old, the proud grandparent of however many children by now. Um, there were several miraculous things that took place in your family's background, just getting to Israel. Uh, many listeners don't know that in the 70s and 80s, it was nearly impossible for most Jews to get out of the Soviet yeah. Union. And your family, led by Mark, initiated by Mark, um, was able to get out in 1972. And I actually checked before we spoke today, um, I knew that 1972, there were a relatively large number of Jews who were allowed to leave, about 30,000. And that's relative compared to the number of Jews who were allowed to leave the Soviet Union the year before, uh, only about 15,000. But can you talk about your family's life? Um, yeah, sure. The let me, let me, yeah. Sure. Let me talk about uh, briefly about Mark, um, okay. about the history of um, about him. Uh, Mark was uh, the firstborn of my parents, Anna and Jacob. He was born on January 31st, 1954. Uh, there were, we have, I have three brothers. Mark is the eldest one, and then uh, Alik and Tali, which uh, they were, th- three of them were born in Minsk, in the, um, in Belarus. And Mark and Alik suffered greatly from anti-Semitism at school and on streets. Um, everybody knew that when Mark, because of Mark's strength, you shouldn't pick up a fight with the Slavin brothers. Uh, at school, Mark was noticed with a very unique body strength. When he was 13, he was sent to take uh, a test at the Minsk Sports Palace. It's the University of Sport in Belarus. He was accepted immediately. Wow. Very soon, um, he found out that his biggest love is re- uh, wrestling in Greco-Roman style. At the age of 16 and a half, Mark won the Youth Greco-Roman Wrestling Championship in the Soviet Union. For the he whole became, Soviet Union? Yes. Wow. He became to be the champion. Uh, on February 72, when Mark uh, is only 16 and a half years old, he was chosen to join to the Olympic team of the Soviet Union 
for the Olympics in Munich the same year. Wow. And that was in February. Um, a bit about the family history. Um, my grandfather was a rabbi in, uh, in uh, Zlobin, next to Minsk, just a village. And he was so frustrated that he could not teach, uh, you know, his, his own grandchildren, uh, his own uh, Mark and uh, my brother and the other children uh, to the Bar Mitzvah because it was forbidden. And then Mark started to begin that, you know, the anti-Semitism is there. And when he grew up a little bit, um, during the years of the sport academy, he started to realize how deep and rooted anti-Semitism was also in the sport environment that was supposed to be open and democratic. And because of this, he decided he's not going to represent the Soviet Union at the Olympics. As a he teenager. Was a, as a, as a teenager. He was Amazing. 16 and a half years old. Amazing. He, he decided that he's not going to do that. that. This is not according to his belief. Wow. Uh, on the same month, on February 72, Without telling my parents, he went to apply for a visa for himself. He came to my parents. He said, "Listen, I'm not going to represent Russia. Uh, I want to leave." Mika, let me let me go back just a second uh, because listeners don't understand. Perhaps in order to leave the Soviet Union, you you had to apply for a visa. You couldn't just yeah. buy a ticket no. and leave. No, no, no. You had to apply to the Soviet authorities to be able to emigrate. Yes. So he went to check how it's, how can, how can it happen? He knew that there is some immigration to Israel. My parents had a very good life in Russia. Um, we are a family of uh, many women, strong women came to my mom and to my grandmother and they told him there is no way go uh, present Russia, come back and then we'll, we'll, we will decide what to do. He was so sure of, you know, what he felt. And he convinced the family to make Aliyah those months. He applied for visa for himself and for the family to immigrate to Israel, giving up the status of an athlete in Russia and the benefits that have, uh, that have already been uh, offered to him, apartment studies and a scholarship. Uh, after they tried his uh, coach, they tried to convince him not to do that. It was very dramatic, very, very dramatic. Sure, he was, he was, he was turning, turning against the state, which, yes. which the Soviet Union um, did not like. Once they realized that he's very, you know, up to his mind, that he's not going to give up, uh, he was immediately disannounced as an uh, deserted, and his titles were deleted from uh, the records. Um, Mark and the family made a liyah to Israel on May twenty second. Um, 1972, 22 members of the family um, came to Israel just because of his dream, not I because get, some. Which, which is unheard of because in, in the early 70s, well, through, 70s through the 80s, one had to apply and sometimes would take years just to get a refusal. But in, within three or four months, yeah, he, the, he, he not only he as a 16 year old, but he, but but your whole family was able to yeah, come, almost yeah. your whole family, I think. Yeah, almost. My mother's side, my aunts, their husbands, their children, they all came to Israel on May 22nd. Uh, Mark knew, my dad told him, listen, you can go to Russia. Um, 
you know, try to chase your dream to have a golden, to have a medal. This is the biggest dream for every athlete. Uh, and if we will go to Israel, immigrate to Israel, you don't even know if you have a chance to join the Olympic team to Munich as we're already there. We're almost there. It's just three months away from the um, Munich Olympic. He had no problem with that. He had no problem with that. He just wanted to, to, to come to Israel and to be um, a Jewish athlete in so Israel. He, he was prepared to sacrifice his dream of being an Olympian for his dream of being an Israeli Jew. Because he was very young. Uh, yeah. He knew that, that, that if this, that he can be in Montreal in 96, he didn't give up the dream. He knew that it will postpone his dream for a couple of years. Okay. Because he knew how good he was. Um, it's amazing to me as you, uh, I, I just can't get over. I have a son who's 17. Um, he's my youngest. But I want everyone just to pause and think whether they have children or have older children or know people who have children to think of the determination of a teenage boy who, who today is focusing on driver's license, girls. Yeah. 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 Maybe yeah. this was his determination. He, he waged a mini battle, a personal battle against the Soviet authorities to be able to leave the Soviet yeah. Union and be a free to, Just to chase his dream. It's, it was just chasing the dream. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That in of um, itself is heroic, I think. Yeah. So he knew, um, he knew that the chances of joining the Olympic team was very, very low. There was no time uh, as the Olympic, as I said, was just a few months later. Um, and the um, uh, Israeli delegation to Munich, to Munich was already set up. There was another problem um, uh, that there were no, okay, let me uh, talk about they arrived to Israel. Um, they were set up in a Pardeskats, which is uh, in An the absorption uh, center. Yeah. He heard that the, he needs to get to the Hapoel uh, Center of Sport in Tel Aviv, and he walked there. He, he walked. Just wow. walked there. He walked there introduced himself. My name is Mark Slavin. I was the champion of uh, youth uh, in Russia in wrestling, record Roman. Uh, please let me show you what can I do. Uh, Muni Weinberg was the manager of the wrestling, um, uh, wrestling at that time. Um, um, and he said, okay, let's see what can you do? He had a fight with um, um, a match, not a fight. Not he, he had a match. Yeah. He had a match. Yeah, <laughs> he had a match um, with uh, Eliezer Halfin, which when uh, that year he was the national champion of Israel. Mark won in a second. Wow. Um, then they realized that there is not no um, no one in Israel that can really have a match with him to show his real abilities um so they very very quickly Muni Weinberg decided um to invite Daniel Rubin he was the world champion of uh, France uh in wrestling Greco-Roman he he invited him to Israel to compete with Mark and he said to Mark if you will lose you will not join the, 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 the delegation to Munich this year um, but if you will defeat Daniel Rubin, which is the world champion, 
uh, you will join the Israeli team to Munich. And this um, is just now two or three months before the Olympics. Were yeah, it was June, late June. Right. Um, so um, they have the match and Mark defeats Daniel Rubin. So, so, so fast and so good. And they realize that they have a treasure in their hands. Wow. But then they realize that there is another problem. Uh, there was an international regu- regulation of the Olympic Committee that uh, Olympic representative required to live at least one year in the country he is representing. Mark was here only a month and a half, two months. Right, he didn't right. speak a word in Hebrew. He was Jewish. This is the only relationship and rooted, you know, he had to Israel. Um, because they knew, Muni Weinberg knew, that uh, Mark will bring the first medal to Israel. He said, I'm not going to give him up. And they changed this rule. Uh, so Mark can join the Olympic team to Munich. The rule was not an Israeli rule. The rule was, was an international rule. Yes. So in addition to as determining that Mark was, in fact, as good as he was, now the next battle was against the International Olympic Committee yeah. in order to get this approval for Mark to be able yeah, to, to join. To join to the Israeli um, team, to Munich, yeah. Um, okay, um, so Mark, sure. No, we're on the verge of now him him going to... Munich, but I want to just rewind. I like, you know, today we have Jews coming to Israel, coming home from all over the world since you were born, since your family came to Israel. Uh, uh, two, probably two million uh, former Soviet Jews have have come to Israel, uh, close to it, maybe a million and a half. Um, I came 18 years ago from the U.S. I mean, it's a miracle, but it's not an there's not, there aren't a lot of impediments to it. Can you just, I, w- I want to just rewind a minute and take us back to Minsk. I know you didn't, you weren't born there. You didn't live there. But what did your parents tell you about life there? You said that they were very comfortable. Did they, they experience anti-Semitism? Good, they, um, they were a Jewish, um, there were a few Jewish families living uh, at the area they lived in Minsk. Uh, my grandfather was a war hero from the Second World War. So, the grandfather, uh, the rabbi? No, no. Uh, the the rabbi was the father of my father. Got it. Uh, the, my other hero was my grandfather, which was my mom's father. And he was given a barber shop. And he ran it very, very successfully. He had four daughters. My mom was the eldest one. They all ran this uh, family business. They had a very good life. Um, my father was a photographer. Uh, you know, they knew that Mark and my brother Alec were suffering from anti-Semitism, but they had this very, um, um, those, those Jewish families that were there were very together and they knew how to, you know, have they managed to have a good life. It, you know, the youth and the children were abusing my brothers, but Mark knew how to defend himself and Alec. But my parents, you know, they were well 
known in the community and they knew that my grandfather was a hero and they had a good life, basically. It wasn't, you know, something that they said because of anti-Semitism, we need to leave. It wasn't so like that. In 1972, when Mark announced to your parents that he was leaving and coming to Israel, had there ever been discussion in your family's home about that happening or that or they were complacent and content just to live there as Soviet Jews? They, they, they said, my mom said, you're not going by yourself. This is not ah, an option. Okay. Okay, a this good is Jewish mother, a Jewish mother, saying, a Jewish, yes. very typical Jewish mother. You're not going by yourself. So he was very persistent of going to Israel. So they said, okay, it's, there is no way that he is going by my, himself. All the family is going together. Amazing. My mom could go with my dad and my two other brothers, but her, my grandmother said, um, my grandmother, as I said, they had she had four daughters. And when Mark was born, um, she just had her fourth daughter. So Mark and my aunt are almost, you know, the same age. And because he was the first boy, she said to my mom, okay, this is my boy. You go do your things. I'm going to, you know, to raise him. So the family was very, very together. And my grandmother said, you're not going without me and wow. so on and so on. So in a week, the family decided they're going to live the life in, in, in Minsk and come to Israel. It was like... It's a miracle. I mean, it's, it's simply a miracle because later years, the Soviets would deliberately divide families in order to punish those who wanted to leave. And there are many, and many... They could punish instances. Mark. They didn't want him to go. But they, but they, but they let him go. They didn't. They didn't let him go him. on the train station. They knew when he was supposed to departure from. Uh, he, he, they took a train out of uh, Belarus, and KGB uh, of officers came to see who is saying goodbye to Mark. Right, the KGB um, because they're spying on everything, and they yeah. want to know who should they be following. And then uh, my my father brothers. One of them was a doctor. Uh, and one of them was a writer, and they started following them, the family in Russia that stayed in Minsk because they couldn't leave just by then. I see. So they couldn't write letters to my dad and to Mark. It was, with, you know, um, it, it was hard. It was hard until they came to Israel. They made the Liyah on uh, 74. So two my, years later, two years. Yeah, so, but wow. two years were very difficult for my uncle to be a doctor at a hospital. And yes. my other uncle could not publish his writings. Right. You and, know, and, they wanted and to be. There was no, and there were no telephones in, no. in most play, right? People couldn't just call one another. If they could get a phone call, it was listened to by the KGB. And if they wrote letters, the letters so were sent it was, or, or not delivered at all. Yes, yeah, so they were like code names and code things, you know, for my father and his brother to talk. Uh-huh. And my other, my father, the rabbi grandfather of my Zalman, he was 96 when he came to Israel. Oh, when amazing. he immigrated to Israel with his other two sons, with my uncles. Did you know him? Yes, of course. He passed away uh, when I was six. Wow. Incredible. He was 96 years old. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Mika, I want to take a break for a minute and I want to come back and then move us more closer to to the actual Olympic experience. Okay. When you think of Jerusalem, you probably think of its historic and biblical sites. Run for Zion is a trip unlike any other. 
you will join tens of thousands of Israelis interacting with Jerusalem as you never have and never imagined you would. You'll connect with and bless Israelis of all backgrounds. If you've never been to Israel and are dying to come visit or haven't been for a while and can't wait to get back, Run for Zion is the opportunity for you. And now, if you register today, you can join us for as little as $29. Yes, that's for real, just $29. Run for Zion is a pilgrimage and service experience that gets you out of the tour bus, interacting with the people and the land. Check out runforzion.com for details and come run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Okay, so Mika, I I hope that I've enjoyed hearing your family's personal situation. Um, it's important to set the stage. Uh, as, I, as I'm learning about Mark, I'm, I'm realizing what a hero he was, not uh, on many levels. Um, and, and, and I just really can't, I, I, I can't, well, I, I know how I was as a teenager, because actually I was very involved in doing things that were quite dangerous to myself to help Jews get out of the Soviet Union. Um, but I, I'm still overwhelmed that it was essentially Mark's dream that led your family yeah. to Israel. And as a result, you're all here today. Um, and again, we probably would have, you, you, you probably would have loved yourself only being known as the sister of the first Olympic medal recipient on behalf of the state of Israel. And that's it. I can tell you for sure that if, uh, you know, uh, Mark was here, I would never be born. Why? Wow. Why do you think that? Because my mom was 40 years old uh, when she got pregnant with me uh, by mistake. She did not plan to have, you know, those on the 70s, 40 years old was not a young age to, you know, was not... uh, uh, a good age to have uh, babies and uh, she, she never planned to have another baby. She had three great children and I was not, um, I was not in the plan. And what, wow. I have to just ask really personal. You were telling me before we started recording that you look like Mark and yeah. that I even read online somewhere that, well, is your uncle who came and embraced you when at the airport and thought that for a moment that you were Mark. Yeah, because um, I'm always with a uh, short haircut. And my uncle, um, my other uncle came to Israel when I was made Aliyah in the 90s, when I was um, 18, the age that Mark um, yeah. passed away. And um, and I came to, to with my dad to the airport. And the minute he saw me, he ran to me. And he started to... To, to, to call me Sinochik in Russia, it's uh, my favorite son. Sinochik, Sinochik, uh, Mike. And I was like, you know, it was a very, very difficult moment. Um, yeah, for me, like, and for him, he was, for years saying uh, sorry for that because he knew the impact of, of. Well, you carry this, which we'll talk about, you carry this with you in so many ways and and that's i don't know if i should say all the more so or or in spite of the fact that you you never met your brother um mark so so let let's talk about mark's now competed against this french wrestler he the the, the israeli olympic uh, team fights to get mark 
accepted by the international Olympic team to be able to represent uh, him. And in August, three months after arriving and becoming a citizen, he's now off to Germany, fulfilling dream yeah. number two to represent Israel as uh, as an Olympian. And really, with the highest hopes of everybody who attended the Olympics from Israel that year to bring back a medal, maybe the gold, yeah. but a medal. And I was reading something online this that, that kind of blew me away also about his character. And I wanted to, I know you didn't meet him, but I know he's a personal legend. Uh, you spoke about him being a hero and your, for your daughter is a hero. There's a letter that I read the text of online that he wrote in Munich on August 25th. Um, and he was really in awe of being there coming from Minsk, which was certainly not developed to Israel in the seventies, which was not as developed as it is today and going to the Olympic village. But what, what struck me as how, what a, what a amazing person he was and how selfless he was at the end of it. He wrote, I'm reading today. We will go to the synagogue to pray. I will pray for all the Jews to get out of the Soviet union. He meant to Israel and fulfill their dream. Like I did. He was really a pioneer, a proud Jew and a Zionist. Can you, before we get into the Olympics itself, tell us about his character. What did you know about him? Um, he was, um, he always knew from the day he was born what he wants. He was very clear that um, he was a very um, um, a good, he was a very good child to my parents. He always helped. He was a very good student at school. Uh, he was never used to get into fights like my other brother. He knew <laughs> he used to collect books with my dad. My dad, my dad was a huge reader. He used to collect rare books from all over Russia. Um, he was uh, a huge intellectual. He loved Elvis Presley. He tried to get, you know, um, those years Russia was cut from the other world. And he, he was interested of what is going on outside of Russia. Um, he was, as a sportsman, I have so many psychology books that he had, uh, sports psychology, how to, uh, uh, know your opponent and know, uh, in a psychological kind of way, um, how to deal with him wow. because the Greco-Roman um, uh, wrestling is very intellectual because you cannot, uh, uh, you cannot hold any part of the, the body of the uh, opponent. You can ca- uh, get it only from the hips and down. Uh-huh. So you have to be very, very focused in the, in the match, in the fight of how you grab your uh, opponent and uh, he has like I have dozens books of in Russia of uh, sport psychology. Um, Tolstoy he used to read. He used to try to collect. He had Elvis Presley records. Uh, that that was him. He he was devoted son to my parents, um, to his family, to his aunts. And what do your brothers remember? You, your brothers are alive and your brothers interacted with him. They made Aliyah's children together. What, what were your brother's memories? Um, that Mark was his savior. As I said, my other brother was uh, a big hooligan. <laughs> <laughs> and 
um, I, I have a very, very, you know, sad so story when my Mark was 18 years old when he came to Israel and Alik, my other brother, was 16 years old. And while Alik was uh, helping Mark um, arrange his uh, suitcase to go to Munich, Alik told Mark, but who is going to protect me now? Whoa. And Mark told him, we're in Israel. We're in the country of Jew. You don't need any of my protection anymore. So um, my brother was, he, Mark was for him everything, the world for him. And uh, yeah, the life afterwards just hit everyone so hard. So it's almost as if your brother had a prophetic moment realizing what was going to happen. Yeah, um, I'm 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 choked up thinking about that, and and then of course what happened. Um, wow, I wish I'm sure you do as well, but I wish I had the privilege of knowing him. I wish we could finish this conversation and go and have coffee and get to know yeah. each other. Um, so I grateful. wish. Yeah, my so biggest I'm, my biggest dream that will never fulfill. fulfill. Yeah. yeah, I hear that, um, but but he fulfilled many of your dream, dreams that you didn't even realize just by being who he, who he was. Yeah. Um, let's, let's jump into the Olympics itself. I, I, I'm okay. guessing probably a lot of people listening may not have known about the deep, about the massacre and the murder of our athletes and your brother, um, or, or certainly not the details. Um, I don't recall precisely when the Olympic games started, obviously sometime between late August and, the 5th yeah. of September. Um, uh, let, I can let, tell you that the yeah. Olympic in Munich um, was the first one uh, in Germany after the Nazi uh, Berlin Olympic in, in 1936. The Germans wanted to um, show that now uh, they have a happy Olympic. They wanted to erase the memory of the Nazi Olympic. They tried to do it. Uh, there were many celebrations, many parties. The policemen wore light blue uniform. They did not have any dogs. They did not have any uh, weapon on them. You can come and leave the Olympic Village as you wish. No security checkups. Wow. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, they really wanted to, to, to change the world uh, memory of the Nazi Olympic. It was the most important thing for them. Um, um, on September 4th, that was the 10th day of the Olympic. Uh, most of the Isra Israeli team and the, um, the sportsmen and the uh, referees finished participating in the competition, okay? Only Mark was uh, supposed to have his match on September 5th morning. Oh, my God. Um, because everybody almost, um, except of Mark, finished all their obligations, they took a night off and they went uh, on the fourth night. Um, they were invited to watch the show Fiddler on the Roof. Hmm. So everybody but Mark, he went to sleep early because he had a very important day um, the next day. Um, went to the fiddler on the, on the roof and they came back to the rooms, uh, to the uh, Olympic village around two and a, two, two and a half uh, o'clock in the morning. Um, the terrorist, um, the location of the, 
they were located on the main street on Colony Strasa. And uh, it was very easy for the terrorists just to climb the, the fence and to enter the, the, the place they were sleeping. It was just a chain fence, right? It was not it yeah. was something that yeah. Americans would be familiar with around a baseball field. It was not tall fence that right. you could climb into, you know, to get into the, um, the village. Now I'm saying again, Mark competition was scheduled for the morning of September 5th. Right. Okay. He was supposed to get up at six with Mooney Weinberg, with his uh, uh, coach, to have a wait, to be waited, and then to go to the arena because the match was about to start at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, they were captured at 4, uh, 30 o'clock in the morning by the terrorists. Captured meaning, I, I know what happened, but do you want to explain how, how that happened? I mean, it wasn't, the um, terrorists broke into the dormitory. Yes. Uh, Mooney Weinberg, Mooney Weinberg, my, my brother's coach, uh, heard that something is happening. He tried to hold the door. But they shot him and they threw his body through the window. Um, they, um, all the, uh, some sportsmen heard what is going on, heard shooting. And I think that five or six or seven were able to run, to uh, run from the window and they saved the, uh, their lives. Um, um, Muni, Muni Weinberg were killed immediately. Um, the other 10 were captured and in one room. They, they were sleeping in four rooms. So they were located in one of the, uh, the rooms. And um, Yossi Romano, the weightlifter, he was a very, very strong guy, took a knife and tried to hurt one of the terrorists. We know that he hurt him. He cut him. Oh, but uh, they hurt him. Um, they shot him, and he he died. Uh, and uh, nine left for athletes were sitting around his body for nine hours, uh, while outside there are negotiations of you know with the Germans uh, about the releasing the sportsmen. How many terrorists were there? Seven. Seven eight, ter- eight terrorists. All Palestinian Arabs? Yeah. Yeah. From the Black September from the Black September group, which is one of the terror groups affiliated with the PLO. Yeah. Um, um so um after those long, long hours of negotiation, uh I just wanna in a in another universe in Israel, okay, uh, my my parents knew that Mark was supposed to be in the arena, his first match, his first fight. Um, So they rushed to the bank, which was like 10 minutes walk from their home. They went there at 8 o'clock to be back home at uh, 10. And they didn't have a television, so they want to hear on the radio what's going on there. So uh, they went to, um, to the bank. And my mom just before she enters the bank sees a picture, a newspaper stand with a picture of Muni Weinberg, which is my 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 brother's uh, coach. 
and she doesn't, she tells my dad, how can it be that Mooney is on the paper and not Mark, that he's the athlete, he is, is going to. This is early in the morning of the 5th. About 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 yeah. o'clock in the morning. Um, so they didn't speak any Hebrew. My mom right. knew uh, Yiddish. So she's buying this new newspaper. She's going into the bank. She finds someone that speaks Yiddish and she's asking him, tell me what is Muni, why Muni Weinberg's pictures okay. is on the newspaper. And he tells her, what? You didn't hear what happened to our athletes in Munich? Oh my God. They run back home and uh, already there, um, the Vado Olimpi, the Israeli committee. committee is waiting for them um, with the news that Mark is a hostage. Um, I know I'm not the only one listening to your words who's right now tremendously choked up thinking about not just what's happening, but how your parents found out. Yeah, that was, uh, there is no way to describe no. No. <laughs> of this, this. Um, now, I have to say that my mom, my grandfather, my her, her dad was a weightlifter, so sports was in the family, but my mom was against, when Mark decided to be a wrestler, she, she didn't agree because she said, I cannot watch how someone is beating you up. So he always used to tell her, mom, don't worry, they will never beat me up. I will kill, <laughs> I will <laughs> that will not happen. My mom would never, she, she told me I never went even to one match of him because I couldn't see that. I couldn't right. see the situation that he needs to protect himself. So, you know, that's what my mom always felt about the, 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 the this way that he chose for his life. And, um, and yeah, and, and, you know, and then they came home and then um, all the family came and they were on, you know, um, in contact with what's going on. And then in the evening, after so many hours, the terrorists asked uh, for two helicopters to take them to a small uh, airport. Take them, um, meaning the terrorists and the nine the terrorists and the athletes to go to this small airport. And then they wanted uh, that in this airport, an airplane will wait for them to take them to some Arab country. Um, they, uh, they wanted in a negotiation, they wanted um, uh, Golda Meir to release a few hundred of terrorists. Golda Meir was the prime minister at the time. Prime minister in Israel. She refused. Right. Um, Tzvi the head of the Mustad, went there. He wanted to, um, they asked, Israeli asked uh, the Germans, we want to help you. We want to send you some rescue team in Israel. We have a lot of practice. We can help uh, the Germans decline. They didn't agree Israel to, to help. Um, there was a rumor around midnight between the 5th and the 6th that sportsmen were released. Uh, and they are going to come home first flight. Champagnes were opened at all the homes of the athletes. They came to my parents with champagne. 
saying, thank God Mark is alive and he's coming home. Shortly after that, they announced that all sportsmen are dead. Right. Um, the that Germans. Four o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Um, yeah. The. Um, the. Um, the Germans decided to make a rescue. Well, Mika, before uh, we do, before we talk okay. about this, I want to, I just want to take another break and we'll leave people in the, it's not suspense because we know what happened, but I'd like to hear what happened after this um, quick break. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, so in the late hours of the 5th into the 6th, the Germans are attempting to make a rescue. Mm-hmm. Walk us through that. What happened? Um, first of all, uh, after they, after everybody found out that there are terrorists and there are nine hostages, um, they, they thought of, you know, it's the 5th of September, and the Germans didn't know if to stop the games for that day or not. Okay, that was the first question. But then they quite, realized... It's quite absurd, isn't it? Yeah, and then they realized that they don't have any alternative uh, program to show on television. So that was the reason the games continued. Okay, only at four o'clock in the afternoon, it was decided to stop the games. Wow. Um. Meantime, the, Ge- the Germans conducted negotiations with the terrorists. Um, while regular Munich police officer with no, experience, with no experience in combat or hostage rescue were sent to the village, the plan was to crawl down to the ventilator shelves and kill the terrorists. Okay, That was while the gego- negotiation was going on at the village. Um, the police took positions awaiting uh, awaiting for the code word sunshine to be, uh, begin the assault. Okay. In the meantime, camera crews filming the actions from the German apartments and broadcast uh, oh, on live right. on television. Okay. Right. Now the terrorists that. are sitting at the apartment with our uh, athletes and watching that. So they, they see, see exactly what's going on. They could see exactly what they're planning, you know? Crazy. Um, and then 
the Germans knew that, that this plan is not good. And they said, okay, we're bringing two helicopters to take you to the airport. And then uh, it was decided that in the uh, airplane that is supposed to take uh, the terrorists and the athletes somewhere to Libya or someone, somewhere to an Arab country, there will be uh, policemen um, that will try to have a combat and rescue the terrorists. Uh, another thing... Five rescue police, the hostages, rescue... Yeah, right. rescue, yeah. Five police... Um, besides of that, five policemen were deployed around the airport um, in sniper roles. Three on the roof of the control tower. One was hidden behind a service truck and one was behind a small uh, signal tower at the ground level. Um, however, none of them had a special sniper tra uh, training or oh, any special weapon. That's absurd. Yeah. That's like the, taking me. That's like taking me. Or me to yeah. rescue. Yeah. Uh, the officers were selected. The officers for this operation were selected because they, they, they shot competitively on weekends. They were not actual snipers. Wow. Okay. Uh, the Boeing 727 was stationed at the airport with, uh, with uh, the policemen dressed as a flight crew inside. Okay. Uh, it was agreed that two terrorists would inspect the plane. The plane, uh, the plan, the plan uh, was for the police to overpower them upon boarding to the plane, giving the snipers a chance to kill the remaining terrorists that were uh, standing next to the helicopters. This is after the, after the helicopters had taken off from the Olympic Village to yes, the airport. Yes. Okay. Um, at the last minute, when the uh, helicopter arrived in, uh, into, the, the, uh, into the airport, the policemen that, they, that were already on the plane decided to abandon their, their mission without consulting anybody because they were afraid for their life. Oh my God. They said we're not going to save anyone if this is going, you know, and putting ourselves in a life tra training uh, situation. Life threatening situation. Yes. Oh. So, as agreed, two terrorists walk over to inspect the jet, uh, only to find out it's empty, realizing it's a trap. They ran back towards the helicopters. At that time, the West German authorities gave the order for sniped first for the snipers to open fire um, one of the terrorists turned uh, there were two helicopters uh, with um, five sportsmen and with four one of the terrorists turned on to the hostage in the eastern helicopter and fired at them with a Kalachnikov and then he pulled the pin with a head grenade and threw it into the helicopter um, you know they died. The hostages, the hostages in the second helicopter were accidentally shot by German police. And that's where Mark um, Yeah. And how, how do we know that they were shot by German police? Uh, we had, we have some pathological and some um, reports uh, which we're not sure about if it's true or not, if it's false or not, 
Um, that's what it says. We found those records. Um, um, sometimes ago when archives were open, um, you know, those details are, are, you know, very difficult for me. Um, and we will talk soon about, you know, that the Germans decided to open archives yeah. uh, together with uh, Israeli histori uh, historians and try to, um, to find the truth and uh, to see what really, really went on there. I just want to remind you for a moment that we're going to be releasing part two of this conversation on September 8th and pray that you will take time to share this that you've just heard and join us and, and listen then. As we finish, um, you know, I, I joke, and this is probably one of the most emotional uh, podcasts that we've done in over a year, um, but I'll still say it. You, if you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. And, and this year we started from the Genesis 123 Foundation uh, offering a special gift each month. We're giving away a special volume we call From Jonathan's Bookshelf. All we ask is that you please go to Inspiration from Zion, the social media, and like and follow us. And when you comment and share the link to this program, we will select one person at random to receive a special gift. And this this month, we're giving a, a, a book that's relating to another military operation um, in which Israel was successful. Uh, and, I, and I'm looking forward to, to sharing that. We're always grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia, if you're in the area and, and can pop in and tell them hi. And thank you for helping them make this program and conversations like this possible. Also, thank you for our friends, the Coyne family, for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. This episode specifically is sponsored by our friend Carol, good friend Carol. Um, Carol knows Jewish history, the importance of Israeli sovereignty, and how the past manifests in our present and future. And Carol, thank you for helping to sponsor uh, this conversation specifically. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments as part of the dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy, and I send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah.